mid-May 2014, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare KeelGuard, the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. That's right, Kurt. MegaWare KeelGuard is installed on my boat to protect it from harmful rocks and road debris. You can see all their products at KeelGuard.com. We have another interesting show on tap as we bring in some new blood for our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. An FLW Pro, any diehard tournament angler will recognize, but I am sure we will be introducing this young angler to much of Bass Edge Nation for the first time. I'm excited. Yeah, Aaron, patterns in the fishing are changing, and Bass Edge is keeping all you bass fishing fanatics up with the latest of information of how to catch more fish. Well, let's get right to the show, Kurt. I am itching to hit the lake. Here we go with another episode of Bass Edge Radio. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Well, Kurt, it's hard to beat this time of year. Here we are, middle of May, and it's going on across many parts of the country right now. Yeah, it's going on down here at Amistad. Although, you know, right now I'm traveling the road and all over the place uh, fishing several elite events. Just before I left the house, things were right, to say the least. I had a, a couple days where we caught 50 bass, and anytime you catch 10 bass is good. When you times that by five, it's awesome. So uh, a lot of fun being had down at Amistad right now. And a couple quick tips from this spring that are so much different than the last several years that I've been experiencing is how much much water temperature plays a big role in these fish. You know, you talk about daylight conditions and how long days, and I think that affects a fish's behavior, but uh, certainly, you know, we, we harp on this all year, but the cold winter, late spring that we had, fish spawning at Amistad all the way into May, so unbelievable there, but really paying attention to uh, the conditions and really how the conditions have been several weeks prior to you going out on your fishing trip are important to be able to start dissecting the lake when you launch the boat. Really important to kind of have a grasp and pay attention to what's been going on so that when you do get the chance to hit the water, you can get a lot closer to what the fish are actually doing and have success more quickly. Well, for sure. And I think that's where many times we've talked here before, keeping that personal data when you're on the water. I do this religiously, being able to go back and reference. And it's amazing when you go back and you look at that type of information based upon water temperature, based upon lake 
or river levels based upon whether it's tides or whatever it is the elements that you're dealing with how you can go back and look at those very things and how that will pay huge dividends for kind of expediting your success curve you know you've got things out there like bass gold now that really do it for you Kurt no doubt you know Aaron I used to kick myself because you're always talking about you know your log books you keep a great log you know what's been going on years past and what happened for me is I went back on the internet and I started looking at my old fishing reports so I started fishing in April what I used to fish in March I started looking at old photos and where they came from on the lake and uh, those older fishing reports really helped me adjust to this different weather that we've had this year talk about bass gold a little bit I saw just recently on bass blaster bass gold is obviously the new technology into how to quickly adapt or locate some fish or locate patterns that should be working with their pattern forecast and I saw the KVD bass gold user I mean if KVD is using it it's got to be good right best angler in the world come on right absolutely that's a pretty salty endorsement right there that's right so make sure you get online check out the bass gold stuff get that pattern forecast Jay Kumar's lakes all across the United States even if it maybe doesn't have your specific lake you can utilize the type of lake and search that information as well so it can help you pattern the lake that you might be going to fish this weekend next weekend whenever you're able to get out on the water so uh, bass gold pattern forecast pretty awesome we are moving right along one thing I do quickly want to point out is uh, before we head to the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight remember leading up don't forget Bass Edge Nation in motion wd.com Go to the website, I-N-M-O-T-I-O-N-W-D.com. That's InMotionWD.com. Concerning the previously discussed Lucas Oil opportunity with Bass Edge Partner. And then also have those products shipped right to your door. Hey, we need to get to the Marine Tech Minute. As we have the brainchild himself, Mark Negust, on the phone. This segment brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. He is the man chemistry teachers ask to autograph their textbooks. Our featured host of Tech Minute, presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Welcome back, Mark Negus, chemist for Lucas Boyle. Steve from Kansas City, Missouri wants to know, states such as Missouri recently passed a law concerning the right to conceal the ethanol percentage in fuel. What effects does this have on me as a consumer when filling my truck and boat? Well, first of all, I think that's kind of ludicrous. This could be bad. Not all engines are designed to be run on E85 or even E15. E85, of course, is 85% ethanol and E15 is 15% ethanol. Uh, E10 is an accepted percentage that provides environmental benefits but E15, for instance, is not recommended for use in pre-2000 automobiles, motorcycles, or boats, as per the EPA. Secondly, flex fuels are equipped with special hoses and fittings that can withstand the effects of high concentration of ethanol. I can see this decision creating all kinds of engine failures and complaints. The consumer really will not have much to protect themselves. They're going to be putting these fuels into their vehicle, and it's going to cause problems. 
So I think the state of Missouri probably needs to rethink this law. I think you need to let the consumer know what level of ethanol is going into their fuel system. Well, Mark, I really appreciate the candid feedback. And Steve, your question, I share your concern being a Missouri resident myself. No longer am I going to trust what is published on the pump. But you know what? Unfortunately, it seems to be all about the dollars. More Bass Edge Radio after these messages. Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride extreme rough water just doesn't exist we're not just building a boat we're building a legend legend boats This is BASS Elite Series Brent Byers, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. For the second straight episode, we introduce you to a bright name in the sport of bass fishing. We have with us today a young gun that is beginning to turn a lot of heads in this sport, FLW Touring Pro, known as the Jersey Boy, Adrian Avina. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's awesome to be here. Well, Adrian, we are glad you could make time to be with us for this episode of Bass Edge. And, you know, I understand kind of your roots and uh, the part of the country that you grew up. Your water tends to be a little higher in salt content, given the fact that you're from New Jersey. How did you exactly follow a path to competing on the FLW Tour? Yeah, honestly, it all comes back to high school. Back in high school, I was introduced to a guy, a fellow angler in this area. He fishes at the club level. And ever since then, he kind of took me under his wing and he introduced me to the old freshwater side. And I went through high school. I fished in high school a little bit. And then my first year of college, my freshman year, that's when FLW College Fishing just came out. That was the opening year. And then that was in 2009. And I just started fishing that. And one thing like to another i did well and now i'm fishing the tour for my third year man college fishing that's an awesome deal i always tell my family members and people i meet i'd have got a lot better grades in high school if i knew that there was college fishing going on that's a pretty awesome deal what college did you go to and how did your progression from college actually work because i mean you're still a young guy you know just out of college now fishing the flw tour i think this is your third year how did that progression from college to the tour actually manifest itself. It really all comes down to your drive, I guess. In high school and throughout my childhood and just growing up, I mean, I was always really competitive. I mean, I played sports all my life and I always loved to compete. And then fishing was always something that, I mean, I just had a passion for. I mean, it's been in the family for basically all I've been a lot. My grandfather started, my dad and my uncle and all them fishing, and then my dad really took me in, and we started fishing a lot, you know, growing up, and we've always been around the water, and the whole college thing, I got introduced to it. It's a, it's a way to be able to compete against other colleges. I mean, it's, it's starting to become a sport now, and we always stress that it is a sport. It's a way to compete. And I love fishing, and when I saw that and I saw I can compete, whether it's against other colleges or just on weekends, to make it a competitive sport, I, mean, I was just all for it. You know, so my first and second year of college, so my freshman and sophomore year, I fished at that college level, and I just had the drive to try and to do well and to improve myself, and I just saw that fishing some other circuits. So then I started working my way up through the ranks, fishing the FLW events, and that was the BFLs and the Ravens. 
contacts. Well, um, Adrian, I'm going to call BS on Kurt because don't let him kid you about the whole high school grades and college and that. You know, he was petitioning the NCAA to be a red-shirted freshman being on the fishing team so that that way he can go back. So don't let him yeah. kid you on that deal. Dude, I have more eligibility. I didn't use any in college. I'm eligible. <laughs> I'm thinking about yeah. going back and getting my master's in radio broadcasting. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, well, shoot, you're doing an awful good job. I'm a rookie at this, so I'm just trying to keep up with you guys. <laughs> well, Adrian, I tell you what, you know, again, coming from Jersey, first of all, you know, I'll just hit on Jersey real quick. I mean, you got Iconelli, Glusick, Mansu, Ed Cowan, you know, the list goes on, right? I mean, there's there's so many awesome anglers out of Jersey. What is the deal? You don't hear about Delaware. You don't hear about Connecticut. There's some guys from up in that route, but man, what's the deal with that little garden state, man? Where, where's all this bass fishing coming from it's an area where we don't have too much available and i think that has a lot to do with it you know the guys in this area i'm not going to say they got a better drive or better determination or something than other people in other states but the thing about this area here the state of new jersey there is only one lake in the state of new jersey that you're allowed to run a gas motor bigger than a 9.9 so we don't have a whole lot of places available. I mean, yeah, we have the Potomac River that's three and a half hours away. We got the Chesapeake Bay that's an hour and 45 minutes from where I'm at. We got the Delaware River that's just under an hour. But, I mean, these are all places that they're really not at our back door, and especially for a high school angler like myself growing up and being a young angler. I wasn't able to drive out of state and go to these other places, and all I had was these little farm ponds. I mean, we have 20 boat club tournaments out of places that are no bigger than my backyard, my backyard's in a neighborhood. So it's just the way to be able to fish around other people, the way to be able to adapt, do, do little things that people aren't doing. I feel like it really helped me dissect smaller areas, and it just helped me fish these bigger places. Um, and then we keep on the relating it back to the saltwater. Saltwater back 10 years ago, electronics was still key. And it seems like electronics were really important, more so in the saltwater. It wasn't until about five, six, maybe seven years ago that the guys in the freshwater really started using electronics. So, I mean, even though I'm only 23 years old, I mean, I've been using electronics for 10, 12 years, you know, ever since. The, I mean, we used to use Loran and we did a lot with maps. And I've been using electronics a, a while. And I feel like this game is all about electronics anymore. I'm not considering myself a nerd by any means because I hate the computer. You know, I do what I can on it. And I mean, I went to school, so of course I got to use one. But I think just being able to understand maps, being able to understand electronics, and being able to dissect these little places that we have, it's a benefit not only for me, but for other people that are in these areas. Well, Adrian, I compare that to, you know, talking about fishing small waters and, you know, you only have one lake. That's kind of like trying to find a wife in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, and it really is, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tough, but it, it really enables us to, when we see these other places, it can be a little bit of a downfall because you want to slow down and try and pick apart every part of the lake. And as Kurt knows, I mean, if you do that, you might as well chalk it up right now because there's a lot of water at these lakes that we go to. But I mean, it's just been a benefit so far. And I think that some of the other guys like like Iconelli, I mean, you look at him, he's, he's one of the best finesse fishermen, I think, in the game. Uh, he likes the power fish, don't get me wrong, but put a spinner rod in his hand and that boy will do work. Um, and I think that comes down to fishing 
around where we're at, you know, where we're located here in Jersey, small places and trying to get past the bite. You look at Pete Glusick, I mean, he's a tidal expert. And, yeah, we have one lake that we're only allowed to run a motor in, but we have a couple other places, I mean, like the Delaware, the Marsh River. Uh, we have some other tidal places where you can run a gas motor, and it's all about tidal flux and out of fish position, and Pete Glusick is one of the best at that. What techniques have you been able to really exploit while on tour when you're visiting all the different bodies of water, you know, in the different regions across the country with such limited experience? If anybody knows me, I mean, they always know me having 15 or 18 rods on the front deck of my bass cat. You know, it's just, uh, it's how I fish. Not necessarily am I good at any particular one. I feel like I'm more of a well-rounded angler. I don't have a true strength. You're 23. <laughs> you haven't yeah. been able to grow into that yet. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Yes. You know, it's just uh, this sport. It all comes down to what's between your ears. And Kurt will second that one, and I'm sure you will too. And it's all about making decisions, you know. And I mean, I've been blessed to make the right one these last couple of years. This year's a little bit of a struggle. I'm a little bit behind the eight ball, but we have a few events left. To try and make up some ground and I'm fishing a bunch of other tournaments but I think it's all about thinking with an open mind I mean I did a Bass University seminar earlier this year and one of mine was thinking with an open mind that was the topic of it and every cast is a different situation so that's why I throw a bunch of rods in my deck a bunch of different things that I feel like obtain to that particular time of year whether we're fishing in the spring which this episode's going to air and it's just whenever you're around the spawn you know there's 10 or 12 baits that typically work you know so instead of throwing five of them on the deck after all 10 and even if I only make one or two casts throughout the day with that rod it's the right cast for that situation and a lot of times you'll get that bite. You know that's a great concept you know doing the guiding thing here at Amistad and uh, sometimes you have a thought process like okay there's a tree and you threw a and I'm a flit by it and you didn't get a yeah. bite but then you think about you know throwing a, a square bill and running it into it and uh, then boom you got a bite but you know if you think about that and you don't have the square bill tied on the likelihood of of you sitting down the bottom of the boat, retying, putting on a different bait, is small. You're, you're generally going to go move on to the next target or go to the next process in your fishing. Whereas if you've got those 10 or 15 rods laying there on the front deck, it's accessible. You think about it, boom, you can react to it. So uh, that's a great tip. I think could certainly help anybody's fishing to be able to have all those things ready so that when you have a thought process or an instinct that comes to mind, you can react on it really quickly. I think there's uh, some deep-rooted success in your process there that maybe a lot of Bass Edge Nation could uh, utilize for themselves. I definitely think it's an important thing. Just like you kind of came back on and explained it a little bit better. Throughout the day, I mean, if you sit back and really count on how many times you think about you maybe want to try something real quick, you'll be there all day trying to figure out at the end of the day what you just thought of. And just having those rods available and having those little things, because when we're out there, you know, time's money. You know, even whether you're a weekend angler or a full-time touring pro, I mean, you want to try and catch as many fish as you can out there. A lot of times, I mean, for me, I remember just going out after class or after college or high school, whatever it be, and only having a couple hours, you know, getting dropped off at the park or something, only having two hours of fish. So for me, if I wanted to catch as many fish as I can, I had to have all these things accessible. I couldn't spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes throughout the course of the day trying to tie something on because then I wasn't going to catch nothing. So I always, from the time I 
I started, I mean, granted, when the first time I started, I only had a couple setups, but as time progressed, I always brought everything I had. I mean, I might be stepping on rods like Ike and Ellie does. I don't go breaking them or nothing, but I may step on one or two here or there, but it's just worth it in the long run. I mean, even if you just take those couple casts, like I said, when you get that instinct, when you get that feeling, they could put one or two extra fish in the boot, and a lot of times that could be the difference between you and the next guy. For real. i tell you what, let, let's move into maybe breaking down a few techniques and, and your approach. Uh, you know, spring's finally sprung here in the northern parts of the U.S. Do you find that northern fishery largemouth respond differently in the spring than, say, largemouth from a southern fishery? You know, you're able to fish all over the country at a young age. You see these different fisheries, and quite frankly, yes, a bass is a bass, but I think that they can tend to act a little bit differently depending on where they come from. How does that affect your approach when you're fishing up in the northern part of the United States? Yeah, I mean, for one, no matter where I'm at, there's never one wave of fish that are on the bank, whether it be you know them spawning or them staging. Whenever you do have a wave on the bank, there's still another wave or two coming. The one thing I have noticed up north is there's not as many waves. These fish, they'll spawn on the moon, and being up north, there's just not as many waves that come through. You know, you might only have two, three, or maybe four to where as they'll spawn over a month period. So then when you go south in the southern states, southern central, they might spawn over a couple months period. So that's one thing that's different. And the other thing is, it's just a matter of getting out and going fishing. I feel like the fish up north, they're not pressured nearly as much, especially once you get to the Great Lakes, you get to Lake Champlain, you get to some of these northern lakes where they actually freeze over, just because they're not pressured nearly as much. They're not pressured 365 days out of the year. You know, They might only be pressured 10 months out of the year, nine months out of the year and sometimes not even that much so it tends to seem that the fish up north are definitely easier to catch once you find some on bed or once you find an area where they're using you can go through and catch a bunch of them so whereas when you go down south a lot of times those fish might be finicky it's when you'll be going down the bank and you'll see them scoot off the bed or just cruising the bank a lot of times those fish are on bed but not by the time they see that trolling motor they see your boat they start scooting off so i think the fish up north are definitely easier to catch and you can do more of the sight fishing that traditional flight fishing methods, but then when I go down south, it's more of the casting. It's where you back off a lot of times. You might have to go to light line, throw some baits that, you know, traditionally awesome bed baits, whether it's a light drop shot or a wacky worm or, or some type of trick worm. But up north, it just seems like um, it's definitely a lot more textbook. You can use those same baits that I mentioned, but then a lot of times you can just go ahead and you can flip a lot. You can catch a lot of your fish flipping. You can catch, uh, in the springtime, one of the best baits, I feel like, for tidal water places like the Potomac or the Chesapeake Bay is a swim jig and a chatterbait. I mean, you can't beat a chatterbait. And then, of course, you can go through and flip those areas where you have those few bites. Because a lot of the fishing up north in these tidal places, you're not going to be able to see what you're fishing. You're not, you're not going to be able to actually see those fish locked on until you go ahead and you go to the Great Lakes. Um, you go to Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, where you got a lot of smallmouth. You go to Lake Champlain, which I feel like is one of the best fisheries in the country, where you can catch a smallmouth or a big largemouth. Um, those places you can sight fish. And then, you know, you can actually see power poles down if you have power poles, or just keep that troll motor on low and just go down that bank and pick off whatever fish you see. Well, that's good stuff right there. I really found interesting the difference on the pressure situation. A lot of people probably don't take that in consideration just given the fact, you know, here we're on the verge of water getting warm enough, ice out, you know, all that type of stuff. So good stuff there, Adrian. But quickly, before we head to break, you've had such immediate success on new fisheries. I'm really interested in circling back kind of to your approach on a new body of water. What is your beginning? 
beginning process of breaking down an area or a body of water that you haven't been to before? What I do is, I mean, I treat it like homework. You know, it's like going back to school. I'm big on Instagram, big on Twitter, and big on all those things. And I see, I see some posts of some guys, and it's funny, you know, because we all do similar things. I feel like in order to be successful and efficient at a tour level, and a lot of times see places that you never seen, and you have four or five, six thousand dollars invested into it, and you're fishing against people that have a lot of knowledge or people that have a lot of history. I feel like you got to really do your homework. And what I do first off is I try and purchase not one map but two. A lot of maps show different things. I mean, I run two graphs. I run a Navionics shift, and I run a standard Lorentz mapping. And all these little mappings and all the different charts—they're all going to show little differences. You know, they're all not going to show the same thing because they're not coming off the same software. So that's one thing. I purchase two different maps, and a couple days prior, a week prior to the event, I'll start doing some internet research. Right now, the internet is crucial. You know. It's every man's best friend. I mean, maybe not to a local that's known in the lake like Kurt or something, you know. I mean, he probably hates the grass and hates the internet because everything's on there anymore. And when you're trying to make a livelihood and you really know the lake, it kind of hurts some local guys. But for a young guy like myself trying to break through the sport or somebody just trying to go to a new lake, taking advantage of the internet, whether it be some blogs where people go on and just post fishing reports. And then also another thing that's really crucial is Google Earth or Bing, some type of aerial thing photos because you can go back in time at a lot of these websites and be able to see aerial shots of when the lake was down. And that's crucial, especially now if the lake's normal level. And I can relate this back to Lake Conroe in Texas last year. I fished a Toyota Texas Bath Classic down there, never seen Conroe. I didn't really have a well of a good event. I did well in the pre-event. I caught them pretty well, but that lake the last Google Earth shot was shot when the lake was low. Well, now it's up to full pool. Well, I was able to see all those places on those shallow flats where they had rock or they had brush or had a bunch of tires that locals threw out there, especially when you're running the pattern. A lot of these lakes that we go to, uh, especially up here in the north or even down south, lakes that I've been to throughout the country, they're pattern related. Once you get on a pattern, you can get ahead and just run that throughout the lake and be able to duplicate it, be able to catch fish. Well, Google Earth is an awesome example of this. So say if you get on a dock pattern where you want one of those man-made concrete boat ramps next to a dock and you can skip a jig under there and catch one every time. Well, now I go on Google Earth instead of running around the lake burning gas and wasting time, I can go on there the night before my practice and be able to find 20 or 30 of these through Google Earth, being able to see the aerial shot. Now all I have to do is throw a waypoint on there and if I want to, I can run that pattern throughout the tournament. Now I can spend more time trying to find another pattern, a secondary or, or third pattern, you know, plans B C and D. So being able to take advantage of those things, at so first, okay, you want to make sure you purchase at least one map. Two is definitely better. If you have the availability of running two different mappings on your boat, that's awesome, too. And being able to take advantage of the Internet, using those blogs, using those fishing report websites, just searching on Google anything you can about the lake, and then making sure you look at those aerial shots of the lake, too, while you're there. That's a pretty systematic approach. Pretty awesome right there. Great information for Bass Edge listeners. You know, Another thing I want to add real quick is you won the uh, Pro-Am event prior to that TTBC that year. And didn't you catch some giant, like, 9 or 10-pound fish? Yeah, yeah. It was just one of those deals. I went out there. It was actually the night before that Pro-Am, and I was out there looking on Google Earth. I had my little iPad sitting in my boat, and I was just marking waypoints on my unit. You know, I was just seeing some of that shallow stuff because what a lot of people don't understand is our units are awesome. You know, I mean, when we're trying to go, 
out there and graph fish and graph structure. They're awesome between eight to out to 40 foot, you know, and deeper, you know, as deep as you want to fish. But the only problem with those units is from eight to two foot of water, you can't hardly mark anything. That comes all down to feel. It comes down to experience. Guys dragging a Carolina rig or just feeling the bottom, guys dragging a jig or guys digging a crankbait into there, feeling what hard bottom is where. Well, I'm not able to do that when I see a brand new lake because it just, it takes up too much time. So when you have that availability of the Google Earth and when the lake's down, you're able to find all those little sweet spots by just going on the website, going on Google and going on and using your resources. So what I was doing the night before the tournament is I knew there was still some fish shallow and a lot of times those fish aren't pressured near as much. So I was going online and I marked a bunch of these and they're just a bunch of little secondary rock piles and a couple of them are little brush piles and they might be little stumps or something. And I put a bunch of waypoints on my unit and I just ran them for the first time. So we just went and ran a bunch of those things in that Pro-Am, which is the tournament right before the TTBC. And we caught like a nine and a quarter. We caught a couple sevens, a five. We just had all kinds of monster fish. And that all comes down to just, you know, using the resources that we have available. And um, it allowed me to catch those fish. Unfortunately, I didn't hear catch a bunch of big ones in the tournament, but maybe this year. We'll see. Even at that, that's the exact point I wanted to get to is that's a great representation of what you just discussed on this interview. You put it to work and you were able to go out and really have a day that anybody would beg for. <laughs> I mean, fives, sevens, nines. I mean, that's ridiculous. And you were able to just go out and jack them and really all put down to exactly what you were just discussing about your preparation on new bodies of water. So a uh, good resource on that. I tell you what, it's time for a quick break. FLW Tour Pro, Adrian Avina will be right back on Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Eventually, it's going to happen. You'll turn the key and your engine won't start. Don't lose your ability to get around. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts for a super start battery. Whether it's a reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, you'll find it at an everyday low price. Don't let a dead battery slow you down. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelguard, returns with Adrian Avina in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products, from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Adrian, you mentioned in our previous segment, you're a big Instagram, Facebook, Twitter guy. I got to say, you know, we follow each other. We're buddies. And I saw on your Facebook page a few weeks back that you and Jacob Wheeler went out and fished an evening derby the week after the Beaver Lake FLW Tour event. What I'm really interested in breaking down here are what are the advantages of fishing with different anglers? Nothing can take away from time on the water, and that's what it all comes down to. I feel like staying sharp is the biggest ingredient with being successful, with being consistent, with constantly cashing checks and doing well. And, I mean, me personally, I mean, I try and fish as much as I can. And these little tournaments that we fish around, whether they're around the house or, like, I stopped over there and we fished a little evening event with Wheeler over there on a little lake called Geist. It's just staying sharp, you know. We make similar decisions whether we have $100,000 on the line or $100. 
$1,000 on the line. And it's just constantly making those little adjustments and those decisions. It just keeps you sharp and it keeps you ready to go for the next big tour event. Do you often find that other anglers that you're with might take a different approach than you would and it really kind of can help open your mind additionally when you're attacking something, maybe a situation that, that you've seen before, you would apply X or Y technique and then someone else comes in and say, hey, let's go with Z. For sure. A lot of times, like you guys know, and, and a lot of times, like, I mean, I've been in a few clubs that were similar to this. A lot of it's cutthroat. You know, it's pretty secretive, honestly. You know, you have you have your own little clique of guys where you might share information with and a couple of them are buddies or whatnot. But a lot of times when we come to these tournaments and we come in, we roll in with our wrap rigs, you know, and, and our big rigs and our setups and our, our nice gear. And, and guys just, I mean, they look up to us, you know, and they're, yeah, we might be frowned upon on a few people, but they're coming in there trying to take their money or something. But uh, when it comes down to it, it's just all about, you know, getting out there and trying to be able to fish new places. And a lot of times these locals or these old timers or weekend anglers, a lot of times they go out there and they're out there doing their same thing that they do a lot of times. And sometimes a year it's killer. You know, they might catch a bunch of fish. But when we go out there, a lot of times people will learn from us. And then also we can pick a thing or two up from them, you know, just ways they approach it. It's just a big learning outing almost, you know, because they, they come up, a lot of people are really open to it. You know, they might come up and share what they're doing. And us touring guys, I mean, you know, when we fish these club tournaments, there's no secrets. You know, it's all about presentations a lot of times. There's no magic lure or bait that catches them everywhere we go. It's just the way we put it and how we put it. And, and it's really just how we think. You know, it's how we make these decisions. So I'm always open to all these people. Whenever they want to talk fishing or know any secret that I have, I'm mean, flat out tell them. You know, it's just a lot of it's situational. You know, we use the same things different times. We just tend to catch a little bit more fish sometimes. But it's awesome fishing against these guys because, yeah, I mean, a lot of them do some things that I normally wouldn't even think of. And a lot of times I might get my butt whooped on it. So it's good to know and it's good to stay sharp and fish whatever tournament I can. Yeah, that's good stuff right there, Adrian. And we are quickly entering the yearly post-spawn stage, relatively speaking, of bass fishing. The bass have been in on the banks doing their business, not feeling well now. They're kind of moving out. But how do you go against kind of these uh, stereotypical tough conditions when it seems that the fish are just, quite frankly, much less active than other times of the year? I think there's a time of year, and yeah, May is getting to be that time of year where things can get a little tough. You know, it's called the post-fall funk, um, and it happens everywhere. But then again, as I talked a little bit before, not all fish spawn in one stage. They're constantly doing different things. You know, there's different waves that come up. So, yeah, there might be a wave that comes up early April, come beginning of May, they're going to be fired up and ready to go. And that's when, I mean, me personally, I love to throw a topwater. I feel like post-spawn fish, you know, they just look up. They're just ready to go and blast something on the surface. And even those fish that spawn a little bit later and are just coming off the bed, a lot of those fish, too, they'll regroup in a couple weeks and be ready to go and ready to start eating really well. But when it comes to May, a lot of people overestimate the topwater, whether you want to throw some type of walking bait or one of my favorite things to throw is a buzz bait. And then, of course, uh, if you're get around a lot of grass and I, I love throwing a frog. It's a time of year that's exciting. You got a bunch of those females that are coming off of bed. They're in that little bit of funk time, but it's a 
time when you can start catching another trophy, you know, another true giant. Just because those fish, I mean, they just come off of a long time and they're getting beat up and, and working hard up there shallow, trying to do their thing and lay more eggs and make our fisheries better. And a lot of times they just come off of that and they're just ready to eat again. But during that time when it's tough, you can't beat the wacky rig Sanko or a drop shot. People really underestimate that drop shot. It is a little bit of a hidden secret, you know, on tour. And I mean, you can throw that drop shot in a foot of water. You can throw it out to 65 foot of water. But it's a bait that's not used too much in that 8 to 0 foot. And I catch a lot of fish year after year when those fish are coming off of bed on a, I call it a power drop shot. It's just a rod that you can throw it on a bait caster. You know, you tend to have, since you're fishing shallower water, you're going to have a smaller dropper loop. You're only going to have about a you know, 10 inch gap in between your bait and the weight. I mean, you can throw that around any type of cover. You can throw it on heavier line. You can throw it on 15 pound line. So you don't have to worry about breaking any fish off. But the fish that are really finicky and that don't want to really eat anything, a drop shot is like a Snickers bar. You know, when it's sitting in front of it, and I don't care if you're full or if you just got done eating Thanksgiving dinner, you know, you're going to eat it. But it's something that uh, a lot of people overlook. They think of a drop shot having to be in deep, clear water, but that's definitely not the case. I'm feeling just like a fish. Yeah, I don't care how full I am. You put a little dessert in front of me, I'll probably have to take a little nibble. <laughs> but but I got a quick uh, little round table question for you guys. Adrian was talking about all these little ponds and, and uh, small bodies of water in New Jersey. Of course, tons of Bass Edge Nation fishing small bodies in the kayak or tubes or, quite frankly, fishing down the bank. That's how I started fishing. Uh, Adrian, Aaron, I'm sure that's how you guys started, too. So uh, I'm going to pose this question to both you guys. Adrian, I'll start with you. What is your go-to lure while fishing from the bank and why? It would have to be a wacky rich Sanko. Because a lot of times, for one, you want to have something that's somewhat weedless. And for whatever reason, me personally, I get five to one bites over wacky to Texas. And it's just a bait that's easy to use. And you can throw it around a bunch of different types of grass or wood or something. A lot of times when you're fishing off the bank, unless you're on a sand wash, I mean, you're fishing five foot of wood or less. Especially around here back at home, we have a lot of ponds that aren't really too deep. And when you're fishing off the bank, they're just giant flats. You might have some lily pads. But I'd say the majority of the time, from, from spring all the way through the fall, a four-inch wacky rig Sanko. Uh, my favorite color is green pumpkin laminate. I mean, you can't go wrong with it. All right, good deal. Four-inch wacky Sanko. Aaron, tossing it to you. What do you think, bud? Yeah, you know, I, I would say if they're not on the top water course, I like to throw that from the boat, the bank. I don't care if it's from like the living room. I mean, that's my favorite. But let's say uh, if, <laughs> if they're not eating the top water, I think just given a lot of the ponds that I grew up fishing and a lot that I've been exposed to, you know, a lot of them have like we talked about last interview with Britt Myers concerning a lot of that grass that's in a lot of the ponds that I've been exposed to that kind of ties up and foul hooks your baits. But then also, given the fact of just regular vegetation, get into the lily pads and hydrilla, I think I'm going to have to go with just a weightless fluke and kind of working it, especially around this time of year. You make those long casts and just let it, even if it comes up on top of the lily pad or up on top of the vegetation, twitch it a little bit and let it fall down in those holes in those shaded areas. And a lot of times, you know, those are ambush spots and they're just going to light you up. Now, getting it in, that's a different deal. Yeah, that is a different deal, especially from the bank. It's a little 
little bit easier to retrieve a fish off of a boat with the maneuverability. But I tell you what, Aaron, I'm going to assume I'm only going to go fishing when the topwater bite is on. So there you go. Some of my favorite memories when I was bank fishing was to uh, throw, and Adrian, you have alluded to this earlier, that it's a great bait this time of year, is a buzz bait. I'll tell you why I love a buzz bait. First of all, it doesn't get snagged up very much. It'll roll through anything, roll around anything. I can even make a bad cast and throw it on the bank and get it back. But uh, the big deal is what I'm trying to do when I mention throwing it on the bank is parallel of the bank, you know, so I'm trying to get down on the bank of the lake that I'm fishing and really keep my bait in shallow water, not throw out toward the middle, but throw to the sides, you know, and parallel the shoreline and uh, look for some of those fish that are up. And obviously, you know, anytime a topwater can work, but traditionally prime times, early morning, late at night, and one of my favorite, the full moon lit night, generally after, you know, when that post-spawn really kicks in, fish maybe aren't as active during the day, you get out there on a full moon night, maybe with your sweetheart and run down to the run down to the lake. Uh, are we start. still talking about fishing? <laughs> We're talking about all kinds of things, but Jack and Bass is how to get a good night started. There's no question about it. I hear that. Alright, well, well, we'll slide right out of there and go into our O'Reilly Auto Parts. The professional parts people, listener question. Adrian, we give away a $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts every show, and this month's question posed to you is from Bob Taylor of Dayton, Ohio. Bob asks, I'd like to know how the pros adjust for fishing pressure. I live in southwest Ohio, and in this region, it is said that there are 50,000 fishermen all fishing for the same six fish. Fishing tournaments on a level that you guys do, fishing pressure is a factor that you can't get away from. What tactics or techniques do you employ to overcome fishing pressure? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an awesome question, and I don't think it matters what part of the area or what, where you live. I mean, we're always bound to have a lot of fishing pressure. You know, there's only so many bass in these lakes, and a lot of it comes down to conditions, but the biggest thing that we have over the past couple of years, fluorocarbon has become essential to any tournament angler. I mean, I like to throw light line. Whenever you're in a high-pressure situation, especially if the water clarity is a little bit clearer, you can see a little bit down, the visibility is pretty good. Light fluorocarbon is a key element to any type of finesse application. And then we can kind of go back to a couple of those techniques. My couple favorites are one is the Senko. You can't beat a Senko. And don't be afraid to go small with those Senkos. Don't be afraid to throw that three or four inch Senko. Throw it on light line like maybe like a six pound fluorocarbon. The drop shot is also awesome. It's a great base to throw. Just make sure you throw a small worm on that whether you can wacky rig a three inch Senko. You can throw like a robo worm. Throw another type of straight tail worm on there. It's awesome. Another great thing that I like to do is swim a small swim bait. A lot of people think you might need to just cast out there and let your bait soak in order to catch those highly pressured bass. But these fish, you got to remember, a lot of them are all about reacting to things too. So throwing a little swim bait, like a little small type bait, like a little dipper, a little three-inch swim bait, throw it on a little ball head, make a long cast. The thing about fishing pressure is once you have a lot of boats around or you're fishing for a lot of the same fish, having light line and making real long casts, being as stealth as you can, is crucial to catch more fish. So make sure with, with any type of this 
presentation. Make sure you're taking as long as cast as you can. You're using light line and small baits, and that's how I tend to catch more fish. Well, Bob, there you have it, and there you are. Thanks for sending in that question. And, Adrian, thank you for your feedback to him. Bob, hey, be sure to send us an email letting us know you heard your question answered on the show to redeem your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And as always, other Bass Edge listeners can continue submitting those questions via our Facebook page and Twitter account or through our email, support at BassEdge.com. Always remember to include your name and, of course, your hometown. Adrian, it has been a blast getting to know you. I just want to thank you for being part of Bass Edge. Any final thoughts for our listeners as we uh, bring this thing to a close? This time of year is an awesome time of year to get out there and fish. Make sure you listen to these guys and a bunch of pros. But the biggest thing is just take available all the resources that you have. I mean, take advantage of it, but it's all out there to help you. It just gets you that much more prepared for getting out on the water, and hopefully you'll end up catching more bass. Good stuff, Adrian. Man, I appreciate you being an open door, man. A lot of great tips you provided on the show, and uh, man, I hope we can do it again sometime. More Bass Edge Radio returns after this message. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Aaron, as you mentioned at the top of the show, fresh blood here at Bass Edge Nation, having Adrian Avina in the house. Dude, brought the juice. I got to tell you, you know, you hear that one time, you're going to learn a lot of information. You hear it three or four times, you really pick up a ton of information. Adrian, an open book for us here at Bass Edge, giving tons of great tips. A couple of big things that you brought out of it. What would you think, Aaron? I thought it was great. There are sometimes, you know, when the anglers that we have on the interview stand solely by itself. Adrian did a great job. A few takeaways. He mentioned all about electronics, making decisions, and thinking with an open mind. Certainly, like you said, this is one you want to go back listen to a couple different times because each time it's going to give you a new skill. Unfortunately, we are out of time. This is the end of episode number 184. I want to thank all of Bass Edge Nation for tuning us in. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 